Empathy is knowing our own dark Words have power. Like Without they that have connection, you don't have anything. What's the opposite of addiction? It's freedom. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Peaks. Here today, we got our chief clinical officer and my co-host, Jason Friesma, also licensed professional counselor. Um, and to my left here, we have one of our amazing primary therapists, Morgan McKinley, licensed addiction counselor. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show, um, where I bring on great professionals, but even better humans. So, <laughs> okay. That's my new thing, man. That's my new yeah. thing, man, okay. where Chris Burns like brings it. on great professionals, but even better humans. I like that. Let's go. All right. Yeah. So, and I also want to say, happy Easter for those that celebrate. Um, for those that don't, happy springtime, happy great weather season. Um, yeah, so really excited to get going here in the show. Uh, really looking forward to regrouping. Um, and getting into some really good conversation today and just really grateful to have you both here. So the topic for today that I wanted to discuss, and we haven't discussed it a lot on Finding Peaks, and it is our brilliant curriculum um, that I absolutely love. And when we're walking through the curriculum here at Peaks, we're walking through really good stuff, really good subject matter that affords people the opportunity um, to take a trip from the north down south, kind of into the nervous system, and make that million mile march from head to heart. And I think our curriculum does that in a very special way. Mm -hmm. Through things like identity and purpose, grief and loss, personal history, relationships. Emotional, emotional identification. Emotional identification and awareness. Substance use and mental health. And Substance use and mental yeah. health, and I love that. And something I like to point out too is like in this curriculum, where we're treating a lot of people who cope with substances, it's very interesting to me that in our curriculum, we barely touch on substance use disorder. Why is that, Jason? <clears throat> well, it's because uh, at Peaks, we look at substance use as um, part of any other mental health issue. And uh, really, it kind of, um, it's an old thought process, I think, to think that um, co-occurring issues are substance use over here and mental health over here and really uh, there's a tremendous amount of overlap in fact so much overlap it doesn't even really make a ton of sense um, to create uh, a huge distinction between the two and you know I think about it in this way too that like um, back when I was in private practice people would ask me if I did anger management and I'm like well yeah because like it, it comes from wounded places and like do I sit down with a curriculum and go over it? No, but like, so all these mental health issues, whether it's substance use or depression, anxiety, um, whatever it may be, our curriculum works with it really well um, in that space of a tremendous amount of overlap between all of those issues. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a beautiful like bridge yeah. that we can create. And Morgan, what have you seen on your side of things at the client level through kind of shifting the verbiage that we use instead of addiction and, you know, have you gotten sober? What is your substance use? What's your drug of choice? This is some of the old verbiage that we used to use. And I think consequently, a lot of the field still uses. But what have you seen really at the client level in the work that you, the special work that you get to do each and every day? Have you seen a shift? Uh, and maybe it has to do with shame. Maybe it has to do with insight. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I've not ever worked with a client that um, is just dealing with substance use problems. I think that that's more of like the symptom that a lot of other treatment centers treat mm -hmm. um, or try to address, but really they're not getting at the root cause. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of my theory that not anybody uses substances because it's fun for long, right? right? right like yeah. it's a miserable life. Yeah. 
Um, but there's something that continues to drive that. And mm. so getting underneath it, whether it be the anxiety or depression or other mental health um, mm. concerns, I think that normalizing that within our curriculum and having the language around it has really allowed people to be more honest with themselves and kind of get to that root issue rather than just treating the symptom. Yeah. So. Yeah, I really like that too because it's not, I'm just not an addict. Like it's, it's much more of that. And, and when you can approach it from the whole person and from a mental health perspective, mm-hmm. then we can, when we focus in on mental health, I believe it takes care of things like anger mm-hmm. and some of those rooted, really rooted issues. Um, as you walk through the curriculum with our clients, um, really over the last year and a half or two years since we've had the curriculum, this mm-hmm. curriculum in place, mm-hmm. what is some of your more um, kind of favorite weeks to teach or plan for? Yeah, uh, good question. I love grief and loss. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It's, it's like a running joke, I think, um, with clients going through that week of curriculum that like us counselors really are like out to make them cry or like, mm-hmm. or kind of these, um, we collect their tears in our coffee cups or something like right. that. Um, and it's not, like it's not that, like we're not just mm-hmm. get trying to make people cry, but there is a lot of, I think progress made in that week. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, like grief and loss is a reason that I am a counselor. Mm-hmm. And so like that personal attachment, getting to see people like work through what I think we've all struggled with at some point mm-hmm. or another um, is really powerful. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a really, really powerful week getting to um, kind of walk alongside people um, feeling anger and denial and depression and, and kind of walking through the stages with them. Yeah. So. What- that's a great point. What do you get, what do you see as a result of not dealing with one's grief? What are some barriers that come up when you see someone entrenched in their grief or an inability to have a thorough um, grieving process? Yeah, I mean, I think that grief is often stunted, yeah. right? And I think that even in the DSM in the past, it's not really been like fully acknowledged as this like big problem. Um, and I think actually now they're making edits to the DSM, um, which is like the diagnostic manual basically for clinicians to kind of diagnose people mm-hmm. with different mental health concerns. Um, they're actually finding that like complicated grief is a thing and it can last longer than it's supposed to. Right. Um, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of different things that you can be grieving. It's not just um, the loss of a person that was important to you or this, you know, some thing that I think is often related to grief and loss, but it's mm-hmm. something like maybe you're grieving your childhood um, because of trauma. Maybe you're mm-hmm. grieving um, the loss of life that you had because of this addiction. Right. Maybe, you know, like there's different parts of it. And so I think not addressing those parts is what we're talking about. Like that's what keeps you in kind of the symptoms mm-hmm. of addiction, yeah. like the substance use. So, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for shedding light on that. And what would you guys, this is what I was taught in the field. What would you say to this? Grief, unlike trauma, with time heals over time. Hmm. I mean, I think that's an interesting statement. I certainly don't think that tra- trauma does not resolve with time. No. I mean, it, it, it does take some time, but it, it doesn't, time alone won't heal that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, don't think, I don't think grief is all that dissimilar. I don't think it's quite as intense, maybe, uh, to kind of walk through grief, but um, you know, as Morgan was talking a minute ago, like I did think of, well, what I tell our clients too, like um, I got to sit in on Grief Week a couple of weeks ago and, and offer a little lecture. And I did talk about how, um, 
if we don't learn how to grieve, it does create this log jam. And oftentimes, mm-hmm. I'm sure Morgan could tell a hundred stories about this, but oftentimes when we walk clients through a grief process, they're like, wait, I have all of these other grief layers I want to write. Like, mm-hmm. I want to keep this going because I'm feeling all of this relief. And now I have this new process, a new channel with which I can work through some of these losses that, that I've experienced. And so um, I, I think that's how we kind of relate it to kind of long-term recovery from mental health and substance use is to say, you know, we're, we're giving you the process of how to grieve. And, you know, in, in grieving, most grieving models say that denial is a part of that process, like some, after some initial shock and, you know, bargaining, like, you know, I just want this person back or whatever it may be, or I want this relationship back, whatever the case may be. So, like, there is part of it that is a denial process, uh, according to most, most models, but um, <clears throat> unless you kind of know or kind of have access to that channel, if you will, like, it, it actually is a very difficult thing to just let time go away, because, and you can tell then if you bring up something from well in the past and it still creates all this pain or um, Anger. or an avoidance of that topic yeah. that falls very similar to trauma. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I had thought too, you know, I, I used to be told, and back when I went, that was in 2008, but they're like grief, unlike trauma, with time it'll heal. But I had much a dissimilar experience when I was at the Meadows processing my grief. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. almost came from a hun- like my whole life. Yeah. It was like, yeah. And yeah. it came out. And, and Grandpa, we're talking 25 years ago. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I should be, if that is true, over it. <laughs> right? And yeah. it just wasn't that right. way. Yeah. Um, so I really like what you said there, um, and really offering people the authentic opportunity to learn that process for themselves and really actualize that in the outpatient setting, in their world, in their family systems, in their communities, can really be an authentic way to not get that log jam, to not have kind of some of that stuff build up um, and exacerbate some of those symptoms. So thank you for that. Um, another question I wanted to ask is, as we're going through the curriculum, what are some of um, the barriers Let's talk about mature adults. As you get mature adults, professionals, which we often get in programming, what are some of the barriers to those folks having an authentic process within our curriculum, or specifically maybe even Grief Week? I mean, I think it comes back to denial a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's just, I mean, mature adults, right? Like they have routines, mm-hmm. <laughs> they have uh, ways that they like things and, and ways that have worked for them, right? Yeah. Like if you're a 45 year old male um, and you're just now starting to see a problem with your substance use, right? Like you have a long time working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not working anymore, but I think that breaking those patterns is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the beauty of our kind of program and curriculum, um, it provides that opportunity to do so with other mature people, um, but also like, I think the intergenerational kind of component of like, you know, older guys with younger guys or older women with younger women, like getting to see each other, like step into that vulnerability, which is generally a new space for mature adults. Yeah. Um, I think that it's a really cool component of that. Yes. So so what you're actually saying in that is like mixed ages in our milieu with six weeks, much different than gender specification, Mm -hmm. which we all know to be hook, line and sinker, the way to go. You're saying that this mixed ages really offers an opportunity because we are, to your point, 
coming off the back of a very physical generation and opening up to a very emotionally heightened and aware generation. Mm -hmm. So that 20-year-old may go into session and just empty the tank, and that mature adult goes, whoa, if he can do that, maybe I can. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Um, and it makes sense, too, because those adaptive behaviors, mm -hmm. right? There's, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a glass of wine at night. I really don't. And for the 45-year-old mature adult who's checking into treatment for the first time, I have to imagine that that's been an adaptive behavior for a number of years. And then it was mm -hmm. two and then three. And so trying to get back to somewhere you've been, it almost appears like the young adult really never had that. Mm -hmm. And so there's not that same kind of barrier there. Yeah. Let me ask you, <clears throat> with a grief week or a week in the curriculum, what are some of the barriers for young people having an authentic process within the curriculum? I think that's hard. I mean, we have so many young people come through our program, mm -hmm. um, and so many of them find success. And I think that, I mean, culture is not really on our side, right? It's not on the, the side of abstinence or even yeah. mm -hmm. um, like responsible use. Mm -hmm. um, just, I mean, if you're still, if you're coming in as an 18 year old or even a 21 year old, right? Like still in college, like there's a lot of things that present as obstacles mm -hmm. in your way of recovery. And so I think just, I don't want to say not being done, but, mm -hmm. but like the willingness to kind of give up normal mm -hmm. as society sees it, I think is a huge barrier for yeah. our young people. Um, but I think, I mean, it's a hard one to overcome, frankly, mm -hmm. right? Like when it's so normalized within, within culture, so. Yeah, I really like that. What do you think are some of the barriers for young people? For the young people? With I mean, our I, curriculum specifically. <clears throat> oh, with the curriculum, okay. Um, I mean, there are some people, yeah, I mean, we, I don't mean to keep going back to grief and loss, but there certainly are 18 or 19 year olds that are like, I haven't really lost anything. Mm -hmm. Like my parents are alive, my grandparents are alive. My, you know, I've had some flings with a girlfriend or a boyfriend, but it hasn't really, I've just mm -hmm. lost a lot. Right. Um, and it, it takes really kind of crafty uh, clinicians to weave in there and find mm -hmm. um, elements of loss, whatever that might be, whether it's hopes and dreams or like, you know, connections with other people or I, 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 we've, I don't know, hundreds of people have gone through our grief week and, and I think we're at 100% we found something for people to work on grieving about. Address, yeah. I think we've, yeah. we figured it out every time, but, but sometimes just that, that insight and that introspection. And then um, I would also say, particularly with substance use, uh, substance use, young people with substance use, uh, the good parts are still really kind of proximate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, they're mm -hmm. only a, a year or two ago, things were mostly pretty fun. Yeah. If you're talking to a 45 year old guy, the, the party time is well past, if you ask mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Um, and then like with, with people with mental health, young, young adults with mental health, um, it's fascinating the amount of denial that comes with that. Like just the lack of acceptance of like this couldn't happen to me or this isn't it or I think it's another thing that's causing my mind to race or whatever it might be. Like it, it's difficult um, with maybe uh, I think young adults to externalize a lot of what's happening to them. Like blame a lot of other things um, on the outside. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I like your example with the grief and loss, especially like for younger people. We were just processing this, um, I think, last week or the week before. But a younger um, one of our clients kind of 
figuring out to grieve like the expectations and hopes that he had for his life, right? Like as a 20 year old dealing with pretty significant mental health concerns, like figuring out, well, like what I wanted to do is not gonna happen, mm. right? And so, and that's heavy, yeah. right? And like at the beginning of the week, I haven't lost anybody, like you said, I mm-hmm. haven't, I haven't moved, I haven't done any of the stuff that you all are talking about and, and really we're talking about much deeper things, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I think that's I think that's great. And the barrier for young people. The reason I ask is because, you know, I was a young adult getting sober, and I was at Cottonwood Day Tucson, and I had a phenomenal therapist. And I never once cried there. Um, and I think something that you all do brilliantly, and the Peaks team collectively does it really, really well, is it's dawned on me through the work that you all do with our clients and the safety you create. Mm. You make it really safe. I don't know in any of my treatment stays, all three of them if I ever got safe. And so when you ask me what's going on, I'm like, hey, I'm here, man. Yeah. You know, we're gonna get through this, but we're not talking about that. Yeah. Because we're just not going there. And I'm right here, I'm all in here. And so a huge barrier sometimes is, is can be lack of safety, but also young adults who have really ripped and roared and the only reason they're alive that day is because of themselves. And nobody supported that. Mm-hmm. And it can become a really big barrier when you're trying to do that work when you don't implement safety. Mm-hmm. I would imagine if I were to tuck in my 22-year-old self in the peaks, man, you guys would have a field day um, because you create You're that safety. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so I just, I really love the opportunity you're affording not only mature adults, but creating safety for young adults that potentially have never had safety in their life ever. Um, and you can see people really come alive on that peaks campus when they get that safety. They're like, just tell me whatever you want to tell me and I'll listen. Mm-hmm. So, and it's because of people like you guys. I mean, really just creating that culture and really creating that energy that is sufficient for safety. It's just really, really cool to watch. Um, so, so Morgan, unfortunately, um, one of our badass clinicians, and that's what I was telling Morgan before the show, is like all of our clinicians are really good. And it really, really sucks to lose any of them. Um, but Morgan is a military family, and they're going to be moving to Kentucky. and So we're going to be losing her in the next uh, two and a half weeks which we are very sad about. Morgan is an awesome clinician. She has literally grown up right in front of our eyes Mm and um, is an even better human. Um, And we all know that. And I think that's probably what we'll miss most. But I wanted to just check in with you. And um, and we talked about before the show some things that you'll miss and some things you're weary of entering Mm -hmm. into the field outside of Peaks because it is a little bit different. But I just wanted to check in and talk about like, what's like your favorite thing about Peaks and your experience here? Easy answer. Um, And I think you know, even going back to this previous conversation that we've been having, like creating safety for our clients, I think that starts within like the clinical culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that over the past couple years, we've really established as a clinical team that safety um, and that kind of integrity within ourselves. Um, the team, I mean, thanks to you, thanks to I think a lot of people, but um, it, I'm I think I'm most weary of leaving Peaks because of that, um, because I'm afraid that I'm not going to find that somewhere else. Um, I mean, it's the best clinical team, and I'm biased, obviously, and I've (laughs) honestly never worked on another clinical team, (laughs) but, like, it's the best clinical team in the the nation. Mm. Um, And I think that, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that supports that. Um, But, like, I think the teamwork, the the support that we give each other, uh, even when days are hard or things are a little wonky and aren't going as planned, like people stepping up for each other in the way that they do, like that is a, it's a beautiful thing, so. 
Yeah. Wow, that's, that's really special. Safety within a team. Mm -hmm. Wow. Jason, how's that for you as the clinical chief clinical officer? And I know just even a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe nobody would have said that. Yeah. I, I, um, well, we were also talking before the show about our clinical meeting that we had yesterday. We, <laughs> I think what we have as a company, and then I want to say particularly as a team, is we have integrity. If we're asking clients to do it, we're doing it too. And, you know, it's interesting, I don't know if it's a coincidence or what, that we're talking about grief and loss. Well, we've started grieving our loss of Morgan, and she started grieving her loss of leaving Peaks. And we're sitting in our clinical meeting with all the clinicians on a residential team, and uh, it's, there's a lot of tissues yeah. <laughs> and a lot of sniffling. And yeah. um, because this is sad, and, and because um, we love Morgan, I love Morgan, it's going to be hard to watch her go. Um, and, and I know that if we all in that room just stuff it down, and act like this isn't happening, we're of no service to the people coming into our program. And, um, and I can't ask our clinicians to hold space if, we can't, if I can't hold space for them and they can't hold space for each other either. Um, and I think that's, to me, the magic sauce of this whole thing is that um, we're just, we're no better than our clients. We're in this life thing, it's hard, it's difficult, and we lose things sometimes that we uh, find to be precious, and it's going to suck to have Morgan leave. Um, but we all get to kind of walk through our process. And we've even joked, like, oh, we're in denial right now. <laughs> well, it, it broke loose of that last week. <laughs> um, but all that to say, like, I just really think, um, it, it, I, I think there's an integrity between our curriculum and our team that that we're, we, we aren't um, doing things that are out of alignment with how we approach each other. And, and I've heard it so many times, clinicians coming to me and being like, the clients are saying that you guys seem to really like each other. <laughs> yeah. This team really seems to care about yeah. each other. And like, um, unequivocally, we do. And that is not an act. You can't make that up. Yeah. And, I, and I can remember, you know, in other jobs and, and certainly earlier in my career, I can remember offering advice that I wish I could take or offering solution that I hadn't realized myself, you know what I mean? And um, so to have a team where we can just do that and, and wrestle with these things, I think it's, I mean, it's mm -hmm. the biggest privilege of my life, to be honest with you, so. That was really cool. And, and thank you both for coming on. It's just, it's, it's really, it's sad to see you go. Um, and I will miss, you know, because I get to sit down and with clients and have a smoothie and I'll miss, you know, hey, I sat with Morgan the other day and we did this and how, where'd you find Morgan? You know, Morgan's phenomenal. I've never had a therapist like Morgan. I will miss hearing that on our campus. I'll miss seeing that bright light that you are. Um, but like I said before the show, I think, I think maybe your mission's a little bigger um, and I think, and I'm hopeful that you'll see it at the next turn. Um, but when you're talking about leading and you're talking about leading with integrity, it's really up my alley, and, and there's two people sitting in front of me right now that do that exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. um, and that is something that if I was in treatment, I would follow. And I always put myself in that client's chair, and I look, would I follow? Mm -hmm. And I would follow. The, the, the answer today is a resounding yes. Mm -hmm. So thank you both for the work that you do for vulnerable people and with each other. Mm -hmm. That's special. Um, so thank you so much. Yeah.
And that is going to be it today for Finding Peaks. What a great episode. Please find us on your podcast, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I'm the brand ambassador saying some crazy stuff. I got a lot of energy. You could just watch the video and put it on mute if you want. Your choice. I hope you all just have a beautiful and blessed day. Happy Easter. Happy holidays. Happy springtime. Peace.